Design thinking. Systems thinking. Service design. Ethnography. Strategy. Finance. Leadership. Teamwork. Entrepreneurship. Operation. Complex. Creativity. Welcome to the Central St. Martin's Birkbeck MBA podcast, Shifts in Perspective. With your hosts, Charles Augustus and Roscoe Williamson. Today's guest is Will Jefferson, founder of Performance Catalyst. I needed to create beliefs. I needed to gain confidence. I needed mm. to experience things. I needed to, first and foremost, learn off other people. That was was such an important part of the process for me. And I just needed to get out there and do it as well. I needed to back myself and that confidence started to grow and grow over time. After having served 12 successful years as a professional sportsman playing both county and international cricket, Will's transition into the business world has been hugely impactful. Emerging as a business and sports consultant, Will has a plethora of skills that successfully combine a background in sport and experience in business, as well as a passion for the psychology of human performance. Make it a proper process, make it something you're going to invest in and spend time on. And then when identified, then put your energy into working out how you can use these strengths in new ways or in different, in different ways in the future. Will's role is that of a performance catalyst, unearthing and enhancing untapped leadership potential in others. Will's diverse client portfolio includes British Athletics, Global Organisations Deloitte, Kennedy's Law Firm, Allianz Insurance and most recently, TaylorMade Golf and Middlesex Cricket Club. You're in for a real treat with this podcast. Will is a ridiculously well-read, inspiring, yet very authentic and friendly individual. In fact, we liked his book recommendation so much, we posted a link below this podcast. And listeners, do not fear if you're not that into cricket. The majority of this podcast is packed with Will's pearls of wisdom around making impact in business and positive life changes. Uh, yeah, maybe let's just start off with uh, hearing a little bit about what you're currently up to at the moment. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, yeah, I've recently set up my own business, so I am, I guess, balancing the demands of setting up a business in the early days, um, which is a combination of um, obviously doing what I love to do, which is work with clients, um, deliver workshops, actually sort of roll my sleeves up and, and be in the room with, with individuals and teams, um, and then also thinking a little bit more about the sort of the medium and long-term strategy for the business, um, I guess sort of thinking actually sort of on a personal level why I've set it up, what I want to do with it, how I want to include other people in the future. Um, so a variety of different conversations and meetings actually with people who I've either known a very long time or I'd like to meet for the first time just to sort of get things up and running. Um, mm. But it's it's only been going four months. Um, it's an incredibly exciting uh, phase at the moment. Um, Absolutely, yeah. It's obviously summertime as well, so uh, <laughs> trying to resist go out, going out into the garden too much. Um, but no, life's good, thanks. It's, uh, it's enjoyable. I'm getting, I guess, exactly what I sort of hoped for at this stage, which was a lot of variety and opportunities to, to meet different people, speak to different people, um, and really, yeah, sort of uh, and make some good progress. So yeah, the, obviously the word uh, that springs out there is cricket. Um, there's so many parables between sports and teamworking and leadership. Um, it would be great, Will, just to hear a little bit about your transition from professional sports into what you're currently doing now. Yeah, I was fortunate to play uh, the game professionally for 12 years. Um, I did play for three different counties. Um, at the time, Essex, Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire. Um, I guess I reflect back on that now and actually um, really appreciate it, I guess, playing for different teams, different organisations, 
with different cultures within each one. Um, obviously, different leaders at different times. So I played across, uh, you know, a lot of different leaders, um, captaining each team. Um, and I guess it's that wealth of experience that I've I've looked to draw on. Um, it's some of the ups and downs that you obviously get within professional sport. Mm. Um, and moving from one county to the, to the next was um, was I guess sort of part of that journey in terms of wanting to keep pushing myself and and be part of I guess an environment where I could see myself excelling mm. um, so yeah I guess uh, you know looking back over time now um, people you know do stay at one club or one team over the course of a career right. um, and credit to them I think that's you know I think that's a really good thing but I look back and I think I learned so much from being surrounded by different groups of people, mm. um, you know, sometimes a team full of superstars, sometimes actually a smaller club with mm. maybe more of a sort of family feel to it. Um, so, yeah, bottling all that up. And I guess, you know, one of my happiest memories, one of my greatest experiences was representing the England A team. So I had a tour to Bangladesh, um, played with some phenomenal cricketers, mm. but also played against some some phenomenal players yeah. as well. Um, you know, I was fortunate to face Wazim Akram and Wakar Yunus, oh, wow. not necessarily in their pomp, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, played against them, played against the Australian touring team in, in 2005. Um, so they rested Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, which, which was a pity because you do want to test yourself against the very best. Um, but I did face Shane Warne on a number of occasions for Essex. So... Um, yeah, I did, uh, again, have sort of a, a truly great day against him when I scored a double century. So that sort of goes down as <laughs> one of the highlights, getting 222 against Shane Warne. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, sticking it to Warney. That, that, <laughs> that's great. Um, I mean, from the lim my limited experience of playing cricket, I know that it's a high, very high-pressure uh, game. I've, I had, I've had the uh, unfortunate experience of having a diamond duck, I remember, in my... Uh, in my school team, the very first ball of the of the game, um, and uh, you know, in terms of in terms of dealing with pressure in an environment like you know a kind of top level sports situation like a cricket match, for example, what what are the sort of techniques and things that you you've learned over time to help you help you deal with those those moments? Yeah, I guess you know I was very um, fortunate to be blessed with with um, talent and skills, but over the course of my career, without a doubt, it's the, the mental side of the game um, mm. that allows you to go out and, I guess, put all the hard work that you put in off the field, the training, um, the skill development, um, all the fitness work that you do. It's, it's managing to actually bottle that up into consistent performance that if you speak to any athlete, any sports person, that's what they'll, they'll crave to sort of continuously be at the top of their game, as you said, when the pressure's on. Mm. Um, and that's probably something I only learnt really about until the latter stages of my career. Mm. I guess as a, as a professional sportsman, when you enter into it and you're in your late teens or early 20s, you, you have a very different outlook on life and, and obviously with your, with your mindset and your, your experiences at that stage in your life mm. as compared to when you've maybe played for sort of nine, nine or ten years. Um, so obviously, sadly, my career was cut short by injury but I genuinely think in that last couple of years, I'd really started to bottle up some of the, the mental techniques and some of the strategies to allow me to, A, I guess, just feel very comfortable in my own skin and, and go out and um, just express myself. I know that's one of the sort of England cricket team's um, mottos recently, being able to go and express themselves, you know, on a big stage, 
in front of huge crowds, you know, the, the pressure obviously of a, of a World Cup recently. Um, so that ability just to have a clear mind, to go out and actually, there's an element of being able to connect with yourself and almost that little child inside you just to go and enjoy yourself and, and have fun. And mm. I think the England cricket team especially, they're a great example of a team that's gone out and played, you know, to, almost to their heart's content, you know, played with a smile on their face. Um, and you hear now some of the stories that have come out in, in high pressure situations. They seem like a pretty relaxed group, you know, mm. they shut out the intensity of maybe the outside world and what other um, you know, comments were being made or, or the ups and downs, obviously, over the course of the World Cup, but to be just go and be able to perform to their absolute sort of um, maximum potential. I think it's quite interesting why you say that, because obviously, if you look at professional sports people, they've been trained and developing over years to that point. Mm. And I look at what you do, um, performance catalyst, you know, and I imagine when you're working with leaders, you know, who might not necessarily have had that kind of background up to that level, but then they also face with that level of scrutiny, especially the more high profile they are. And they're also faced with that pressure to perform at a high level, you know. Um, so how do you kind of take those that, that experience you had as a sportsman and what you're now doing Performance Catalyst and then work with um, leaders within organisations to almost mm. replicate what you spend years developing at such a high level as a sports person? Yeah, I think... In, in the journey that I've been through, I've realised that the big differences actually between sport and business. So people in leadership roles in sport and then obviously people in leadership roles in business, they really are sort of chalk and cheese. Um, I guess from my own personal point of view, I've, I've had to go through a, a real sort of reinvention, as it were, in, in my own approach, my own, I guess, sort of working identity to realize that people in business, some obviously they love the sports analogy or they love um, what they're seeing happening in the in the sort of in the press or in the news. But actually, it's that ability, as you said, to extract elements of that that can be really of practical use to them. And that's where I think I now I'm, I'm sort of incredibly proud, actually, of what I've achieved since I've stopped playing sports because of the variety of um, clients that I've worked with, the different industries I've been able to mm. um, and be privileged to sort of be able to work in. So the reason for Performance Catalyst actually right now is this ability to marry the two together. So the experiences I've had, which have been very wide and varied in the last sort of five or six years, to marry that with what I've learned, obviously, um, through playing cricket and, and playing sport at the highest level. Um, and I think we're going to come on to some of these topics later around mm. the ability to be vulnerable in front of other people yeah. and how resilience is built up, you know, over time. Mm. Um, and these are things that, you know, can be can be changed and can be worked on and, and grown. And I think that's what I get real pleasure in in the work that I do um, sort of today. It's a variety of, of facilitation of, of conversations that maybe need to happen mm. and needs a sort of a bit of a firm hand maybe at times to come in and sort of help direct them. Mm. Um, but there's also a need, I think, for training new skills. Yeah. And that's something I'm particularly passionate about because the skills I had in cricket, you know, the, the forward drive, the hook shot, the sweep shot, I, I haven't actually picked up a bat since, since my last professional game in 2012. And I think as sports people, you have a, a unique skill set, which is obviously useful for you in sports. There's so much more that you can um, develop and grow in terms of a new skill set mm. and what you can 
take from what you've learned from what you've originally done and achieved, but then actually um, broaden your, your lens, your map of the world, as it were, to learn new skills, to then actually be able to apply those in, in different arenas um, yeah. sort of moving forward. And that's something that I think um, I've learned through experience. I'm actually particularly passionate about helping other sports people um, actually discover inside themselves. It's again, it's this ability to tap into potential that's, mm. you know, it's maybe you're not aware that it's there, but actually it's that um, objectiveness that someone else brings that allows you to have that drawn out of you to then have the confidence to go and, you know, equip yourself. Yeah, and I think um, that's a really positive message and I think it can apply, obviously, to beyond sports people. I mean, so often we're told to specialise and niche down and just get your 10,000 hours in into something. But, you know, there's a lot of um, research coming out now. There's the book out recently, Range, by David Epstein, that actually kind of goes counter to that and says that, you know, skills are transferable in fact you become more um adept at certain things by having a very varied background so i think um i think that message is is really positive i think i feel there'll be a lot of people listening that maybe are thinking about making a career transition who maybe don't have the confidence actually at this point too but you know it's it's it's, it's very inspiring one of the things that's really interesting to understand as well is because you mentioned four months ago you decided to you went to set up this business and not wanting to use the phrase, I'm going to use the phrase, it's really interesting to understand the catalyst behind mm. going ahead and saying, actually, I could do, this is something that one, there's truly a need for, mm. and this is something that I can actually supply that need. You know, really interesting to understand kind of the catalyst behind your thinking, what you saw that was emerging in the market that said, actually, this is a, this is a, um, this is a need that I can actually fulfill. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great point. I think if I look back over the different stages of my career, obviously first my sports career, very much a transition period between the two. Um, I've been employed for the last sort of four and a half years, um, coming under the umbrella of, a, of an organization, a management consultancy. And I, I actually have reflected over that whole period. And it was catalytic moments um, in time where that ability to engage with somebody either in my sort of close network or potentially someone who I was told about or asked to go and meet or introduced to. It was those moments that I felt, you know, it, it's hard to get clarity all on your own. Um, and actually, it's that ability to have a coach or a mentor or somebody to turn to. Um, at times, it's just, you know, a, a problem halved is a problem solved. It's that ability to get maybe something that you're churning over inside your own mind out in the open to somebody else. And I've definitely gone through, I guess, a, a real interest in working with people one-to-one -one and that ability to really get to know somebody. And, and through some of the training that I've done, it's the skills to use language and use um, questions to understand a bit more about someone's, um, you know, either limiting beliefs or, or things that might be blocking their, their mental approach. And I think the reason behind Performance Catalyst was to extend my skills to obviously then be able to help um, influence or change um, a team and, and help a team develop or grow or understand what's holding them back. And then the future of Performance Catalyst is to be able to do that on, a, on an organizational level as well. Mm. So it's 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 still a, a sort of a, a process that I'm going through and I'm learning and I'm 
building from a foundation of an idea that actually sparked inside my head um, actually probably six or seven years ago. Because when I was coming out of crickets, I did have an intention to set up my own company. But actually, all I'd ever known was crickets. So <laughs> I lacked maybe um, perspective of, out, of the outside world, outside of sport. Um, I, I certainly needed to build some confidence, I think, of, of going in and, and sort of delivering new topics or new content um, to people, to, especially to groups. But I also needed some experiences of just working with senior people within, within organizations. Um, and I really do reflect now on the last five or six years that I've had and feel I've been so privileged to, to meet fascinating people, um, you know, be party to really important conversations um, either through co-facilitating with other people who have got a lot more experience that I, than I have um, and just bring different skill sets that I've then been able to learn from. And I, I have a love of learning. I go into any client engagement almost feeling I'm here to learn off you even though I know I am maybe you know being looked at in terms of guiding the day or guiding the workshop. And I'm become, I think, sort of savvy at just extracting what I can take from any experience that I, that I can bring to a client. So there's definitely been this evolution of a passion for working one-to-one -one with people, evolving that into actually developing my facilitation skills, um, and then also looking at it then, I guess, more in the future about how can I really create the catalyst for an organization? Obviously, it starts with, um, with leadership, it starts with empowering people, but then how can you create this sort of ripple effect out um, throughout an organization? Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, sort of some of the, the backstory and, and the thinking. Um, but I, I genuinely had to broaden my horizons and my um, skill sets coming out of out of professional sport. Um, so that's one of the sort of first things I had to prioritise and, and sort of put my attention to. Yeah, I think it's um, it's quite interesting as well because I think we, we we talk about vulnerability and I think I almost question or I wonder actually, not question, wonder for you. How vulnerable did you feel at that point, especially when you when you determine actually there's probably some elements of my skill set that isn't quite where it needs to be, mm. and being able to step out of your comfort zone and going out and actually realizing you had to develop yourself, you know. So how did you how did you find that from? Uh, did you did you feel vulnerable at that point, or did you just kind of something that came natural to you, the, the the desire to learn more? I think I think I did feel incredibly vulnerable. I was hugely out of my comfort zone. Um, the process I'd been through coming out of cricket, um, I'd actually engaged in it with a career coach and he'd really opened my eyes to, I guess, having a process, in my mind now looking back on it, it was a process that was facilitated by an expert because he was an expert um, business coach or career transition mm. coach. And some of the tools and tricks that he was able to draw on, um, one was a strengths finder um, that, that we used, and yeah. I found out a lot more about my strengths. And these were not about my strengths, as I said, about sort of playing a cover drive on the up or sweeping yeah. a spin bowler. These were strengths that were innate almost to, you know, to me, to my personality. And, and, and love of learning really was one of those that sort of came out very strongly. So that's something I've looked to feed and, and grow on and develop. We, we sort of know that um, strengths is really linked to positive psychology as well. And I look back actually, and, and the, the time after a sports career is an incredibly, incredibly impressionable phase. And I was really motivated to 
use that phase in a really powerful and I guess sort of empower myself um, sort of moving forward and not look at things in the short term. I was really thinking about how am I setting myself up here for a, a really fresh outlook on a new career. Um, so there was there was vulnerability that was needed. I guess looking back on it, um, you know, people have said to me, it's it must take real courage to set up your own company. I guess I've been through a lot of experiences where I've had to show courage before, whether that's in the face of facing an incredibly fast bowler or you know having to retire through through injury um, maybe a few years earlier than I would have liked um, I wouldn't say it's about you know now taking these things in your stride but it's you do through having these experiences it's important to learn from them and that's something I think I've I've been able to do as, as time's gone by to therefore positively reflect what I want my outlook to be in the future and therefore what I want Performance Catalyst to be able to do for other people, for other leaders, for other teams, um, for other organisations. Looking at um, the Performance Catalyst site, um, the theme of clarity mm. uh, comes up quite a lot and this idea of um, uncluttered uh, thinking. Um, could you just um, unpack that a little bit more about this idea of um, you know, how one um, kind of promotes clarity and, and uncluttered thinking. Yeah, I guess um, I guess it came back to the thinking that we, we quite often just get too close to our problems. It's that sort of old phrase of um, seeing the wood for the trees. Mm. Um, and again, that's, that's because maybe that's the state of mind that I got into on a, on a few occasions in my cricket career when I... <clears throat> when I, you know, the, the going got really tough or I started to overthink things um, or I started to complicate things when there was no real reason to. So the clarity is is this um, ability just to, to think clearly, um, to see um, a path ahead if, you're, if you run into difficulty or know who to turn to, to have the right, you know, conversation. Mm. Um, so it does stem from that. It stems from almost sort of getting in the way of ourselves quite often and therefore... Um, the catalyst is this ability to come in from the outside mm. and quickly identify what's going on through um, different skills, using different techniques, whether it's questioning, whether it's coaching, whether it's mentoring. Um, and I guess it's the, it's the clarity to... I guess I see my world very differently now to how I saw it as a professional athlete. Um, I really do feel that, you know, when you're a sports person, you... You have to have that focus, that drive. You're, you're very narrow in your thinking. You know, you're selfish from, from a, um, that point of view as well. You know, your whole day, your whole week has to rotate around you and your needs for what you need to do to go and perform. Um, and I, coming out of sport, I really did feel I had to broaden my, my, my outlook, so my experiences, broaden my skill set. Um, and that wasn't, that isn't a straightforward process. A lot of sports people, I think, find that incredibly difficult they find it tough to go through that process um, and that's again something I'm passionate about is sort of being able to help other sports people get clarity in their thinking mm. and this isn't just about setting them up for their first few years coming out of sport this is for re having real focus on what they want their the rest of their life to look like what they want to get out of their career um, so for me I've it's been a journey of sort of going full circle mm. And now having those experiences to bottle up and, and share and, and sort of use in engagements that I have with clients at the moment. On that point of clarity as well, it's interesting as well. When I think about, again, I'm also going to go back to leaders because I, mm. I find it very fascinating, the study of leaders, of leadership. They're tasked with delivering a vision, telling an organisation how to get there, leading the team, 
along this journey. Mm. And sometimes leaders themselves might not necessarily have that clarity, you know. So what kind of um, tools or I guess what kind of tools or techniques would you would you say to a leader to help them start to really get a lot more aware as to where they want to go to also get that clarity within themselves in their day-to-day so sometimes they don't get caught in this, uncl- this cluttered thinking mm-hmm. of everything that's going on around them and they can just stay focused i think of, of anything the, the process i've been through and it did start and um, back at the end of my cricket career when i did a, a, a elite sort of coaching course self-awareness just keeps coming up for me it really does over and over again um, and that it's that awareness to step back when you need to or engage in a conversation with somebody when you need to. It's that, that ability to read up and, and find out how someone else does it, to factor that into your thinking. Um, and there's no doubt about when you're, when you're setting a vision out or you're setting a direction out. And again, I'll use the England cricket team. You know, It's been a four-year cycle for them, a four-year journey. And it's the ability to paint that picture. And that's where I think there's a big difference in terms of if you want to be a transformational leader, it's that ability to paint the picture in the future and then put in the the pieces of the puzzle, the jigsaw, to help get people there along the way. Um, And I think that's got to be, that's key to it. I think it's that ability to engage others and motivate others in what could be possible in the future. Um, So it takes, I think it takes time and effort and energy to... Think first and foremost, what is it you want to head towards? You know, what direction are we going in here? Um, because unless you can describe that with real clarity and, and mm. you know, with all, the, with all the finer detail applied to it, when you have the little conversations with different people in your team or, or, or whoever's sort of coming under you, you've got, to, you've got to be able to speak to them directly and get them on board. Yeah. So that's, it's crucial, it really is. You mentioned um, self-awareness uh, just then, and self-awareness, I believe, is kind of an integral part of emotional intelligence mm. and this idea of self-management and um, self-regulation almost. Um, how important do you think emotional intelligence is in the modern-day business world? I think, I think it's, it's something that I've obviously had a fascination in. I mean, I, um, being more of an introvert, I did look around me at the behaviours in the dressing room. I did watch and observe a lot of different characters, a lot of different leaders, you know, go about their work. Um, and it's, for me, it's, it is so much obviously linked to managing behaviours. Um, and, and that's not just our own behaviours, but that's other people's behaviours as well. So, you know, it's emotional intelligence is what links us. It links us um, in, a, in a way to really maximise our relationships with people. Um, and that's a day-to-day thing, you know, that the people you come into contact with, your ability to, whether it's manage stakeholders, whether it's manage your own team members, whether it's to manage your clients, um, and that ability to, to understand people, to, to um, know what makes them tick, to, to realise that, you know, the right direction to take a conversation or how to stop a conversation to take it, you know, forward in a different way. Those types of things I think so much of it does relate back to our ability to connect with people and therefore inform what we want to achieve you know as a consequence um yeah I read Daniel Goldman's book in my mid-late 20s I think and that really opened my eyes again at the time and it's almost that sort of type of book you want to come back to and read after 10 years or, or whatever yeah. it is um and I think it's you know just a deep down fascination of mine in people and what 
you know, getting through to people, understanding people, and therefore the route is sort of in through the emotions. And I guess the way I see it, and, and I look at this in terms of the, the transition I've been through, is that, you know, you, um, if you think of a, an onion and peeling back the layers, the outer layers of people's behaviours, <clears throat> their... Um, how they act um, sort of day to day. If you if you draw back a, a sort of layer from there, you're into people's attitudes, um, people's values. And then if you go right sort of down into the center, you're talking about people's personality, their identity. Mm. Um, and that's why I think for me, the process of going through, going from professional sport into something really completely different is it's a, it's a, a deep learning process first and foremost but it's also one that you've really got to um, look inside yourself and it helps you understand how to have conversations with other people, you know, on a similar level where they may be really wanting to change but not being quite sure how to go about it. And that's, that's, a, that's a powerful process in itself, you know, the psychology of change. Yeah, huge. Um, and Charles, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? But it's, we were saying quite often it's, it's actually the people within organizations that um that 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 need to change that that sort of don't attend uh these kind of yeah. workshops and these kind of courses and because for whatever reason maybe they believe that they everything's fine and they don't actually need to but have you um witnessed any sort of signals or any particular signs of when people have a bit of a light bulb moment um at the sort of top level and kind of go actually no i i need to work on myself now i need to i need to change things i think i think off the back of some workshops i've run i think people realize it's not necessarily a comfortable process but i'm you know over again sort of you know what you learn from sport at a top level is you need to stress yourself in order to to move forward or to grow so it's it's doing that in a healthy way that's so important, I think. And quite often, I think people come to the workshops and they may not know quite what to expect or they may start to get a feel for what we're trying to achieve a little way sort of through the process. And it is just this ability to feel at ease in your surroundings, speak openly with people, give and receive feedback because, you know, that's such an important process to understanding what you're doing well, what you could be doing better, how to improve, um, you know, those types of things. So I think genuinely, I'm not sure that often light bulb moments happen actually in the room. <laughs> yeah. It's more possibly around um, reflecting on the conversations or mm. thinking about the dynamic that was created and how that be, could be a good thing to do more of that moving forward. Mm. So okay, more of a gradual... Yeah, thing. and I think that's what, you know, with... with um, I think leaders need to be aware that this is, is you know, sometimes putting the, the wheels in motion, it is a process. It is mm. something that you can't get immediately. It's something that needs, you, you need to give time to it and, and effort and energy. Um, and obviously we expect things to happen, you know, instantly um, in the world that we live in now. Yeah. And it's something that I've, I think, learned as well is that, you know, being patient and, and giving these things time is important because they do make a difference. Mm. They really do. So it's the book list you sent to us. I remember when I got this, I read, I read through the list, not all the books, but yeah. through the list of books. And <laughs> one of the things I thought was that this was such a eclectic, nice mix of different philosophies, which was moving away from the, norm, the, the, the normal business literature, which can always sometimes 
not be as broad as it can be. Mm. And it's very interesting because you're talking, you talk about that, pre- that, 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 that act of being present. Mm. You know, I know one of the books you talk about is a part of now and talks about that. Mm. And it kind of shows that, that strength we talk about right at the start of this conversation of the art of, of learning and continuous learning. And, and you've seen that breadth of learning you've done across this different variety of um, sources and actually seeing how that um, plays out in your actual approach to work. You know, which is which really fascinates to see because sometimes I say leaders might think, okay, I'm going to read just all the books that are suggested to me by an MBA course and that's it. Mm. But actually going beyond that, actually realizing there's, there's books on psychology you need to be reading, there's books on on, 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 on presence and on being present in the moment you need to be reading, you know. So it'd be really interesting to see your kind of, your your take on how you go about discovering new books that you feel as though speak to you and speak to what you want to do as well. Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the books that I've read have been fed by my passions. Um, I didn't read a huge amount when I was when I was playing sport for a living. Um, I probably should have read more because I travel a lot. Uh, you have a lot of downtime. You are tired from the amount of training you do. But actually, um, you know, you to, to exceed in sport, you have to be able to be present. You have to be able to be in the moment. Um, and, they, you know, a number of the books that you've mentioned, The Power of Now and... Another one I remembered reading was um, called In Pursuit of Excellence by Terry Orlick. And I was reading that when I was 24, 25 years old, you know, quite a long time ago. But I I think it's been purposeful wanting to broaden my horizons of not just the, the people that I'm working with and engaging with, but as you said, of almost sort of branching out um, from the norm, maybe, in terms of what I read as well. Um, and I think it, it has fed so much more enthusiasm and energy and passion into my work and what I can bring to clients because it's this ability I think in in my sort of working world now to react off a conversation that a team is having or pull on a a model or an idea or something that I've heard that I know works because I've I've read about it recently or I've come across it (coughs) Um, and I think of um, some of the books that stand out, one was um, written by a guy called Norman Doidge called The Brain That Changes Itself. Um, and, you know, you, I'm not a neurosurgeon or I'm not a psychologist. I'm none of these things, but I was, fa- I am fascinated in the mind. I'm fascinated in um, the psychology of performance um, that links into how to improve ourselves, how to improve other people. You know what a um, what excellence is. How to move. You know how to really understand where people are, maybe as a benchmark in terms of excellence. Um, and the brain that changed itself just opened my eyes. I guess it came across this um, phrase of neuroplasticity. Mm. And for me, I guess in that phase of my life, you know, those few years after I came out of professional sport, it was this realization of I had so much to give you know, beyond sport, And I had so many skills that were transferable and such a thirst and enthusiasm for, for new knowledge and new understanding and, and wanting to lead a, a sort of life with real purpose and real, um, you know, own the direction that I take my working career in, um, sort of first and foremost. Um, so that, that, that sort of little phrase has stuck with me, you know, about um, the neuroplasticity and was fascinated about the neurons, you know, and unlearning as much as learning is important. And, and I had some unlearning to do through what I'd sort of come across in, in sport day in, day out. Mm. And I knew that I wanted my working life to look and feel very different in the future. 
but it was still, you know, we talked about vulnerability earlier. It was still, you know, feeling my way in the dark a little bit in yeah. the early days. And, and that's, um, it, you know, I, I needed to f um, create beliefs. I needed to gain confidence. I needed mm. to experience things. I needed to, first and foremost, learn off other people. That was, was such an important part of the process for me. And I just needed to get out there and do it as well. I needed to back myself and that confidence started to grow and grow over time. Um, it's um, it's interesting, this idea of values. And I, I mean, I'm sure you're by now, from what it sounds like, is that you've, you've spent time uh, and you've been almost been through that quite tough process of really looking in internally and kind of asking those those tough questions about, you know, what are my true you know, values and strengths. But I, I I don't think as a society it's something that the majority of people actually stop and take the time to to necessarily think about. Um, and actually it, it is quite an abstract thing for a lot of people to to think about. So do you have any 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 tips or advice for somebody who's maybe kind of heard about, you know, trying to find their, their true values or or what's their, their sort of internal strengths um, and how one would maybe go about that journey? Yeah, I guess um, it, it's, it's possibly a journey that people resist because of its um, complexity, because of what it could show up. Um, it's maybe one that people, um, one, a journey that people maybe stay away from or... or you know, it might take something in their life to happen for them to engage in that process. Maybe that's, you know, because I had my sports career um, ended through injury. That was part of what maybe sort of triggered that process. Um, I guess it's, you know, part of what was definitely a sort of carthutic process for me in those early years was just getting out and talking to people. Talking to people I knew really well, talking to people I'd met for the first time, reaching out to people I knew it would be fascinating to catch up with, re-engaging with people I hadn't seen in five or ten years. It was just a powerful process to put myself out there and almost just see what started to happen and evolve over time. And I think that's where it's it's not necessarily a process that is going to happen, you know, quickly. Mm. Um, I think giving it thought as well, you know, in terms of your values, um, you know, you can quite quickly judge and understand from somebody if you ask them, you know, what are your core values? If they can reel them off straight away, they will have given it thought, you know, they will have given it time um, and engaged in that process. And I think that's why it's a healthy thing. And I think mm. it's why for... For sports, you know, people coming out of out of their um, arena, um, it is about wanting to lead a, a, a healthy existence. You know, have a, an incredibly positive outlook um, for life beyond sport. And I keep coming back to this because it's it trips a lot of people up, and um, a lot of the the sports bodies are doing great things. You know, they're really providing um, young sports people with with um, the training, with the understanding, with, you know, the new knowledge. But actually, it's, it is a process where you need to, you need to sort of look inside yourself. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a great sort of point for you to raise because I think it's one that's, as you said, it's sort of well, what should people hang on to or what should they do more of? Yeah, and that idea of unlearning as well and potentially the idea of limiting beliefs, which I think can hold so many people back, um, this idea of almost like an imposter syndrome, sort of, I don't, you know, I can't do, make that career change or, you know, 
He still doesn't belong. I mean, it's and 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 it's something that it, it rears his head in different ways. I mean, I was probably four or five months into the NBA, and I still felt that I didn't belong. <laughs> you know, I kept, you know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, and, and others look to you. And think, oh my God, it's amazing! You're doing such a something so phenomenal, something that takes a lot of courage. I'm thinking, I don't feel like I should be doing this. You know, mm. and it's and it, and I think it's when you kind of get to that point where you start to realize that you go through these phases as well and being able to be aware of it when it's happening and being able to um, almost, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's understanding what it is and realising, you know, what, what, what the bigger picture is whilst you go through it. I mean, that's what's worked for me, mm. you know. But, yeah, I think that's something that I think we speak to different people, different points in life, you know, um, different areas, and you always look to them and think, oh, they've got it figured out, they know what they're doing. But it's always that sense of, you know, as human beings, we sometimes don't feel as though we do belong in, in certain spaces and certain places, mm. you know. Yeah, my, my wife's sort of mentioned on a, a few occasions, she's been in education now for over 10 years, um, a story about how they almost sort of want their their pupils to embrace life and embrace the world when they leave school. And she talks about the difference between um, sort of sending orchids out into the world who maybe sort of look beautiful, but actually, you know, if hostile weather comes along, there's no way they'd survive. <laughs> but actually, if you compare orchids to dandelions, um, dandelions, are, you know, they're going to survive the hostility. They're, yeah. They may not look as beautiful on the outside, but actually they've, they've got that sort of maybe that toughened sort of inner core. Yeah. And that's what's going to land them in good stead, not just to survive, but actually to thrive. And I think that really stuck with me because... You know, we yeah, we live in a world where maybe sort of what we see on the outside doesn't connect to what's really going on on the inside. Um, and marrying those two together is is so important. And and for what for for myself, one of my core values is authenticity. Mm. Um, you know, the ability to be genuine, to um, say it how it is, come across as as who you really are. And I guess I I want to pick up that you know, and other people as well. Um, I'm a big believer in sort of values alignment. When you meet people, you'll quite quickly understand whether there's a values alignment there. Um, and again, as for a leader sort of um, galvanizing a team, it's this ability to, to have potentially a set of values that allows people to sort of know where they're going, but also know where their boundaries are. So, mm. you know, how they're going to be held accountable, um, you know, put the expectations in place, and then you you have this... Um, right almost to sort of challenge and support knowing that, that, that this has been spoken about from the outset um, and it wasn't surprising that the England cricket team you know had spoken just before the World Cup about them using a set of values um, do you know what they are? I don't off the top of my head sorry <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will know so courage, <laughs> respect and unity was okay. the yeah, thing. so they've sense. linked them to the, the three lions on their badge so the crown on the top of the badge is the team and it's this sort of focus on the team over the individual, which again makes sense. And again, from what my understanding is, you know, where where people's orientation is not towards the team, mm. then that's not going to be a healthy th healthy thing. Um, so yeah, with with the reason for that is that they they wear that every day on their training kit when they represent their country. So it's in full view of everybody the whole mm. time. Um, but it's yeah, courage, respect, unity. And they've, they've used that, I think, now for the last couple of years. So when they've had difficult decisions to make or when they've had boundaries broken, possibly, they had to, um, one player didn't make the squad, obviously. 
Um, you know, it's it's having those to come back to that allow them to be sure of their decisions and then move forward, you know, knowing it's the right thing to do. Uh, it reminds me of the James Kerr's book, Legacy, um, mm. which is all about the All Blacks and um, and their sort of, their rules of, of, of behaving and their rules of living, which ultimately have formed such a huge part of their, their success uh, and the culture of the All Blacks. But one of the things that really stuck out for me in that book is the idea of sweeping the shed. And, mm. so, and I believe he talks about one of the matches and, you know, the top try scorer and it's kind of World Cup match and this player still has the humility at the end of the match to be the one that, that sweeps down mm. the shed. And I think, you know, this idea of humility within um, leadership, so we say, um, is also a theme that pops out of another book that I think we, we talked about before, which is um, From Good to Great. Mm. Um, uh, how, how, uh, what's your opinion on, on humility as a, as a sort of characteristic of, of leaders? I think it should be core. Um, if a leader is wanting to, you know, have positive regard from people and, and have genuine sort of trust and respect. Um, I've been a huge follower of the journey that Saracens Rugby Club have been on recently. And I know that humility is one of their, their core values. Um, it's that ability, I guess, you know, when you link these these rugby teams and, and their sort of um, successes over time, it's I guess it's the ability for, for results not to go to people's heads um, and realise that, I mean, I love one of the phrases Saracens use of at the end of a season, you, you hand the trophy back, but it's the memories that you keep. Um, and I think that's really powerful in terms of, you know, the end of every cricket season I played, no matter, you know, we won the 2020, the trophy was up for grabs for someone else the following year, but I still hold on to the memories now, even eight or nine years later. Um, and it is that look when you see someone, you know, in, in you look them in the eye and you see them after a number of years and you know that you achieved that together or you represented your country together or you played on that tour together mm. um and humility is is i think it really is key mm. and again it's probably the sort of thing that you can either spot very quickly and and understand and see for yourself or it's the thing that potentially you can identify as is not there and therefore this is not something you're you're able to work with or or sort of able to you know try and put right because mm. Um, I think it's something that uh, we should be talking about and we should definitely be saying that leaders should be humble mm. um, and as, as winning teams should be humble as well um, in, with their success. Mm. It kind of segues into this idea of servant leadership and I believe it was Greenleaf, is that yeah. right, Charles? Yeah. yeah. Um, originally kind of coined that um, in the 50s, was it? Yeah, sure. it was in the, in the whole idea of servant leadership. It, it's really about the concept of you know, um, you, it's the, the first point for a servant leader is to serve first before leading. So everything which they do is about the community, it's about others, mm. you know. Social so, impact. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's quite interesting because I think at times um, we, 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 we tend to, in, in, in society, I feel as though sometimes we tend to glorify the, the strongman leader, mm. you know, those kind of personalities that are very... Um, out there, you know, for a long time, a lot of people um, admired um, Steve Jobs, but then a lot of people went out to start businesses in that same mode because they realized he had this kind of personality that he got people to do what he wanted, but not necessarily from a 
humble point of view, <laughs> you know. And even though that, that, that those characteristics might have existed within him, you don't necessarily see that as something that's truly um, encouraged or promoted, mm. you know. Um, it, it, it's rare that you do find people talking about humility um, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to leading, you know. So I find it's very interesting when you start to talk about that now as, as in the strengths of a leader to be humble. Mm. You know, sometimes I talk about um, the fact of my background is I come from Nigeria, you know. So when I was looking at the concept of seven leadership for the first time, I mm. thought a seven who leads, you know, <laughs> it, it felt like a counter, a counterpoint to me. But then you start to realize that there's a lot more strength behind that, yeah. you know. So it's, it's, it's beyond the, the, the hierarchy of power. It's more about what it stands for. Yeah, and, and a line is sticking in my mind because I was very fortunate. Um, my previous employer was with a company for four and a half years called Footdown. And, and the best thing about being part of this organization for me at the time was I had two two or three amazing coaches, mentors that I could um, sort of just be around and, and sort of hear from and, and sort of lap up things from them sort of day in, day out. And one of the lines that stuck with me that I definitely heard from one of them was, when the leader leaves the room, the leadership remains. Mm. And I think that was really powerful in terms of, the, the you know, whether this is a group or a team that can manage themselves without the leader being there mm. or... And it's that ability to for leaders to create more leaders. Um, and when I think of servant leadership, again, it's, it is a sporting example, but I think Gareth Southgate is somebody that's come in, and I did read an article that, that certainly had servant leadership in the title, but it's just he's obviously got a manner about him and a genuine and deep care for his for his players, for the, the sort of the people around him, and this ability to sort of touch people's lives mm. and get through to them and connect with them. And that is what has helped the England football team's journey, I have no doubt, in the last sort of um, 18 months. And what's interesting is that, you know, will that style of leadership create a bit of a, a ripple effect into how other managers go about their role and, and how, um, you know, football not just players, but also obviously the, the coaches and managers go about their sort of work day to day. And, you know, I, I think there's there's such an opportunity there for to, for him to be seen as, as someone who really has touched on something that now can, you know, have a have a wider impact. And for what I understand now, these, these England players are genuine role models, you know, mm. in terms of how they're leading their lives. And I think that's what we like about sports people that are that sort of do really well and that are in the limelight. You know, they've led their life in a way that um, they should have, you know, they should warrant respect and warrant um, us to want to know more about them and how they've achieved what they've achieved because mm. there's some incredible stories out there. And um, I think that's, you know, that's a really... It's refreshing, isn't it, to see one. the Gareth, Gareth Southgate's of this world, yeah. you know, coming through with that kind of leadership. Another book that um, we talked about and that actually a lot of people I, I know have been talking about is this, this Daniel Coyle book, The, the Culture Code. Mm. Um, there's kind of three main themes of that, of that book and we've kind of touched upon um, some of those already. I think essentially the first is about building safety um, within teams. Um, the second one is obviously about establishing purpose and the third one is, is sharing vulnerability. And I, I know there's a bit in that book about um, a flight crew and the, I think the plane's sort of about mm. to go down and, and instead of the captain sort of um, 
saying, well, I've got to put it under control. He, he, you know, he does the opposite. He's like, I don't have it under control. Mm. And now we need to work together. And I'm going to be very vulnerable in this situation. And let's just work together to try and figure it out in real life. So I think, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting book um, that I know that you, you've, you've spent some time looking into. Yeah, I have. I, I loved it for its practicality in terms of what you're reading on the page. For me, for me, in terms of what I do and the work that I do with teams, that ability for me to then really use these examples or pinpoint things that were happening in these moments or these stories um, and help tr try and sort of bring these to life um, for people in a room. Um, for me, one of the, a few of the things stood out. One was it's not necessarily about the individual skills within a team. It's about the interactions that people are having with each other. Mm. And so much of that obviously boils down to communication and our ability to, as we were speaking about earlier, being present with each other, giving our full attention to each other, realising that communication is so much more than just the words we're saying. It's mm. also about the receptiveness of the listener as well. Mm. Um, and that, again, is a investment of, of time and energy on your part into the relationship which which is um, such an important contract that you should have with somebody else you know if you're wanting to achieve great things or or get the best out of someone else um, what I also l liked about it I remember one of the things that he speaks about is these um, belonging cues so this this need to give out repeated consistent sort of signals or pulses as it were of you belong, you know, I'm going to help make you belong. And I think that was so powerful because I know the teams that I played in, you know, on, on the cricket fields, when you have this sense of belonging and you have this feeling of mutual trust and respect, that's where you can really start to sort of move mountains um, and achieve things. Um, and I think, yeah, it was... I think there's a few examples in there about, um, you know, the ability of the leader to orient the team not just the task, but to one another as well. Mm. And I think that's that's so important in terms of, um, yeah, sort of team task and individual, that ability to flex your communication style, to, but to be constantly on it as well. Mm. I think people, something people um, should definitely realise is that leadership is, is takes a lot of energy. It takes, um, you know, your ability to, to have an impact sort of moment to moment. Um, and that's where I think, you know, my, my passion is for instilling the power of language for leaders to really get through to people. Mm. Um, and that's where, you know, leaders expanding their, their toolkits, expanding, you know, how they can understand that language does have such an important impact. Um, it really Absolutely, does. Yeah, and there's a lovely thing <coughs> in that book, I believe. And I can't remember the restaurateur's name, but he's a serial um, entrepreneur restaurateur. And, you know, he's opened up huge amount of successful restaurants, which is a highly unlikely thing in, in this day and age. Um, and But one of the things that he he really sort of works on is, is the language um, that the staff use. And they have all these kind of actual codes and their own sort of mm. um, dialogue, which to an outsider doesn't really kind of make sense or maybe sounds kind of overly corny. But And at first, some of the stuff, you know, kind of, actually believe it is a bit corny but over time they actually started using it so much that they actually start using it in their lives outside of work as well because they're actually really positive cues of people being able to work together as, as, mm. as one I thought that was really interesting that bit yeah and I you know there's a few um, sports coaches out there that I know are big on language and I know that when they move from one team to another or they're they, they want to 
help embed their philosophy on a team, I know that they'll be really picking up on what people say and how they say it. Um, one I really noticed when he came out of the England rugby camp was Paul Gustard, who was, I think, the defence coach. He now is the head coach for Harlequins Rugby Club. And I just know that he will be so big on the language that his players are using with each other, so big on the, the way the coaches are communicating their messages to the players, the way players are responding under pressure. Um, and it's, you know... It's fascinating, I think, that you can pick up these little snippets, obviously, through the press or through stories that you hear. Um, but actually, it's when you're in an environment, and I am you know, fortunate to be welcome into some sports environments. I've recently done a few workshops with Middlesex Cricket Club, and I know that their assistant coach is absolutely on it with the language as well. He was someone that I played against over a number of years, um, Nick Pothas, who played for Hampshire. Um, but. We, we sing from the same hymn sheet in, in our understanding and our belief that language is so important. Mm. Paul Nixon, another one who's the head coach at Leicestershire at the moment. Um, you know, language is, is um, again, it links to emotional intelligence. It links to our ability to connect with ourselves and therefore connect with other people. So our, the language of our self-talk, the language that we're using with different personalities sort of in the room, and then obviously when you throw pressure into that and the need to get results, that can have an impact on people where, unless it's fed back to them what that impact is, and that's where it's a coach's role or a captain's role to do that, um, that's where they've got to, you know, they've got to stand up and be counted, I think. So there's a lot of books. Um that we've talked about, but favourite book yes. at the moment? The one I think I've been suffering from reading blues because I've not read much since I finished it. I really enjoyed Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Oh, yes. Really I enjoyed it. Everyone, I need to read that. <laughs> yeah. I thought, did you like it as well? I, I literally, I loved that book. I remember once I bumped into a guy in a train and he had a copy in his hand. Yeah. And I kept going, I just kept saying, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's a great book. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing story. Yeah, it's, it is. It, it tells makes, it with real humour as well. Yeah. And you understand a little bit, I think, as the as his life goes on about the personalities in the of the people around him as well and, and how he obviously... He wasn't a natural leader or manager oh. of people at all. So Not, he really yeah. had to, I think, you know, he he found it hard to change his ways because he was very linear in his thinking. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one that stands out because, <laughs> yeah. I read, I read another one a few um, years ago called Never Split the Difference. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that by Chris Voss. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, he was a hostage negotiator. Um, with, I think, 20 years of experience. But again, what I, what I really liked about that book was the practicality of, of the um, stories that he told and the, the sort of tools and tips that he um, shared as well. So that was, that was one that I do talk about and reference quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a lesser known one, I think, for me would be, um, it was called Sudden Influence, How Spontaneous Events Change Our Lives um, by Michael Russell. Hmm. Um, I can't remember how I came across it, but yeah, it's sort of, it is a, a little bit deeper, I guess, from that point of view. It does have quite a few references to, to NLP. You spoke, spoke about limiting beliefs earlier, hmm. but it's, it's one that I found similarly to some of the others where you're just turning every page, finding it, you know, incredibly useful in terms of um, lifting from the page you know, and, and using that in moments where you think this will really make a difference to a conversation or, 
Um, I know there'll be moments in workshops where I'm engaging with teams in the future where I'll want to reference or make a point of, from what I'm hearing, this will this will really help or this will sort of make a difference. There's one there's one um, story I wanted to quickly share. And it yeah. was, I'd spoke a little bit about in the last few years of my cricket career. Um, I actually used a sports hypnotist, and I um, I think it was. It was um, a realization of the importance of relaxation to peak performance or optimal performance. Um, And the reason I'm saying this is because I read an article recently about George Ford, who plays um, fly half for England uh, England rugby team. And he'd obviously done a very similar thing to what I did, which is actually work with the hypnotist and record some scripts that actually create a bit of goal setting and a bit of, um, they're really sort of cues and reminders of of you at your very best, so the best version of you. And I created a few at the end of my career, and some of the things that we put into these scripts, they actually really did sort of come to life. Um, and the example I would give is the the six in the super over that I hit on, on finals day um, at Edgewistern in front of 25,000 people. We talked about um, having in the script some some of the wording was in there specifically about um, sort of performing on the biggest stage, on the biggest occasion. Um, and when I read about George Ford using it as well, it really struck a chord with me because this was about, um, he sort of wanted, he'd lost his spark, so he wanted to rediscover his creative talents. And, and I think this really links into your ability just to, slow down and take stock and 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 the scripts is something that i've actually kept up through my transition and with the start of um, performance catalyst as well um the thing that i think it ties into that i could compare to george ford is he talked about um wanting to create this alertness and this buzz in terms of when he was you know sharpest um you know when he really was at the top of his game but also be calm and composed and I think there's there's this real sort of paradox going on there, which is this this balancing these two contradictory qualities. Mm-hmm. And I think there's really something in that in terms of whether this is within an individual or within a team or within an organization. The performance catalyst is this ability to, to balance those. Um, so again, when we talk about leadership, there's a lot of leadership paradoxes, this ability to really challenge somebody, but then also care for them deeply at the same time. So, you know, when these play out, that's where I think you really start to get results, you know, for you either as an individual or possibly the, the impact that you want to have on other people. Um, and so that really resonated with me because those scripts have, have actually been an integral part in both the end of my playing career, a, a successful and healthy transition out of cricket, you know, to to have a very positive and rewarding career that I feel that I have now, um, but also what I hope for, you know, for Performance Catalyst in the future as well and the impact that that will have on, have on other people. A lot of times when people have built up, I guess... Tenure, years, time in a particular career or field, and then make that transition. Sometimes they don't really understand, or nor do they see what they can carry over. Mm. You know, what's your advice to them? Because I mean, you mentioned what you do with us, with the strength find, understanding your values, and so on. You know, because we can't, especially now, if we talk about ideas now, we say um, people don't tend to have one career anymore. There's multiple Mm. careers they Mm. have in their lifetime. Um, There's a phrase I had recently called. A squiggler career, 
It says it's a work in progress. You're constantly yeah, finding yeah. something new. You know, as someone who's actually been able to make that first transition from one place to another, what kind of advice would you give others looking to do the same? Well, the advice I would give would be invest in quality time identifying what your strengths are. You know, what are the traits that make you be the person you are when you are at your best? Um, and then, and that's... That's a really good investment of time. So whether that's taking a test to find out or whether it's um, speaking to other people to get their opinions of what you're good at, but actually make it a proper process. Make it something you're going to invest in and spend time on. And then when identified, then put your energy into working out how you can use these strengths in new ways or in different different ways in the future. Because again, that will build a snowball of of energy and, and effort on your part, but it's only going to lay you in sort of good stead in the future for when you come up um, into new situations or new contexts because you'll have that bank to fall back on because of the time that you've you've put into it. And I can't underestimate the, the process that I went through, again, that was facilitated by an expert sort of business coach to to engage me in that process. And it's, you know, I can see the sheet of paper that listed out what came out top of my strengths from my strengths finder. I actually um, reprinted that piece of paper out, I think, 10 times and started putting it in bags and wallets and shelves so that I kept coming across it day Mm. after day. And again, that might have been because I was low on confidence or self-esteem because of the process I was going through off the back of coming out of sports. But that was just really setting a, a strong and, and powerful foundation for what I believe I'm able to now sort of feel about myself and what I can go and give to, you know, as I said, new situations, new new um, clients. So yeah. I think not just for sports people, but, you know, the, the traits that you have within you, they should be celebrated, they should be use they should be there to give you give you energy um allow you to sort of put yourself out into the world so that other people can experience you know that side of you um and quite often there's there's probably more there than you originally thought you wouldn't it's not a process that people um would actually identify and and sort of think about doing because quite often we you know it's it can be construed as being arrogant or you know what I mean? That that side of things, uh, and that, but actually, it's it's an incredibly important process to go through. I would mm-hmm. say it doesn't matter. I don't think whether you're twenty or thirty or forty, it will have an impact then on on sort of how you lead your life and how you go about you know being being the best version of who you are. Brilliant answer. Um, thank you, uh, Will, so much for um, being with us here today. It's uh, fantastic and. Um, if anyone is uh, interested in finding out more about um, Performance Catalyst, um, where should they look? Uh, well, give me a call, 07968 <laughs> um, or the website, www.performancecatalyst.uk. My email is will at performancecatalyst.uk. Um, I want a very personal approach, so i like a cup of coffee. Um, but yeah, no, I'd be really happy to sort of meet up or, yeah, obviously any further opportunities to share what I do, who I do it with, and, um, yeah, continue the conversation. And you're on social media as well? Yes, yeah, yeah. Got a, a Twitter feed. I'm, I'm about to be up and running with Instagram, but, uh, yeah, not long. Yes, some new followers coming your way. <laughs> 
stuff. Thank right. you very much. Thank you. Thanks.